Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I encourage you to find a Bible, and we're going to begin uh, in the book of Leviticus, of all places, uh, Leviticus 23. Uh, I was talking to my mom last night. about. She actually asked me, she's like, so what are you teaching tomorrow? Where are you going to be at? And I said, well, Leviticus 23, Acts 1 and 2, and um, Galatians 5. And she said, hmm, interesting. I didn't give her a spoiler alert, at least not too much of it. But we're going to begin in Leviticus 23. And last week, if you remember, we looked at Jeremiah 31, and we looked at the covenant that God makes with Israel. And, and it's a covenant not like the old covenant, not one that is written on stone, but rather he says, I'm going to put a new heart in my people. I, I will be their God. I will write the tablets of stone, no longer on stone, but on flesh. And I will give them my spirit. And so what we're doing today uh, as a part of just the, the kind of celebration of Pentecost, which began this past week, is, is we're, we're looking last week at the promise of the new covenant, which, which occurs in, um, through what Jesus did for us and the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But we're looking at it from uh, Jeremiah 31 last week. And then we're kind of looking forward because I want to help us understand a little bit about what is going on in the text and really how the text fits together. Um, next week, just as a, as a preview, we are going to be entering a whole new sermon series, and it's going to be on the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are great psalms. They begin in Psalm 120, and they go for the next several chapters. We're going to take a psalm a week, and we're going to start looking at what it means to come nearer to God. I'll talk more about it next week, but to ascend. Th- these were psalms that were used as worshipers would come to Jerusalem to gather before God in worship. <clears throat> and so we find a great teaching of a whole sort of variety in the Psalms of Ascent as we deepen our walk with our Lord. And so as we uh, get ready to open the scripture here, I I want to invite you to pray with me again. And I also want to ask you, just even as we begin right now, I I, I know between um, the, the pandemic stuff and the civil unrest stuff and just the stuff we all have going on in our homes and in our lives, I just want to give us a moment of pause this morning and, and give you opportunity to, to pray to God. And so I'm going to give you about a few seconds, 15, 20 seconds or so, for you to pray silently. And trust me, I get it. If you're at home and you've got your kids, I get it. It sometimes is organized chaos. Um, but just take a moment right now and remember what God has done. Pray for someone who God has laid upon your heart, and then we'll open the scriptures together. Our Father, a brief glimpse at the world around us just reveals that it's filled with brokenness and it's filled with um, with strife and anger and jealousy. It's it's filled with uh, all sorts of godlessness. And, And God, it's to this darkness you came. It's to our lives you came. Because each one of us, God, has at one point or another been in this dark place apart from the working of your son. 
And so God, I thank you this morning for salvation in Jesus. I thank you that light has come into the world and that we can live by the truth of that light. And Father, I pray that you would, um, that you would reveal truth where it's needed in our lives, that you would reveal truth where it's needed in our culture and in our communities. God, that you would um, bring comfort to those who are, who, who are struggling this morning, that you would bring encouragement to those who are down. God, that you might re- again renew our hope because of what Jesus has done for us. We bless you, God. We thank you for your word, for how it teaches us and how it trains us in all matters of righteousness, for how it gives us um, the knowledge to know what to do. And God, I thank you for your spirit who gives us the power to know what to do. We pray that we would be um, more yielded to your work in our life as a result of our time this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus 23, here we go. Um, what we're looking at, Leviticus 23 describes the historical origins of this, this, um, this festival known as Shavuot. You also know it as Pentecost. Uh, and then as we continue, we're going to look at Acts 1 and 2 and describe the significance of Shavuot right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And then we're going to look at the power of a witness in Galatians chapter 5. So it sounds like a lot. It won't be. Um, the big idea I want you to understand, I want you to take away from today is this. The Holy Spirit empowers disciples of Jesus to be effective witnesses for God and servants in his kingdom. It all comes down to this truth. God has given his people his spirit so they might live holy lives to the Lord. This is why Jesus sent the Spirit. It is why the Father sent the Spirit. And so let's first begin, though, by looking at Leviticus 23, because this sets the context for what we'll look at, Acts, look at in Acts chapters 1 and 2. In Leviticus 23, um, we find this feast, or the prescription of, of, of celebrating this feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost. It's all the same thing. Um, and we'll find it in chapter 23, verse 15. It says, you are to count seven complete weeks. Count from when. Um, last week, I talked about how Passover and Pentecost are in it. They're just like glued at the hip. They're tied together. And we find this here. You're to count seven complete weeks, starting from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the presentation offering. This is what happened the, the, the day after um, the Sabbath, after Passover. So this is being tied to Passover. It says, um, you are to count the 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your settlements as a presentation offering, each of them made from four quarts of fine flour, baked with yeast as first fruits to the Lord. You are to present them with the bread, seven unblemished lambs, a year old, one young bull, and two rams. There will be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a fire offering of pleasing aroma to the Lord. You are also to prepare one male goat as a sin offering and two male lambs as a, a year old as a fellowship sacrifice. And then it goes on to describe what's going to happen. The priest will wave the lambs with the bread of first fruits as a presentation offering before the Lord. The bread and the two lambs will be holy to the Lord for the priest. And then on that same day, verse 21... 
It says you are to make a proclamation and hold a sacred assembly. You're, you're not to do any work. This is to be a permanent statute wherever you live throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. So in these verses, and it, and it happens in a couple different places, there's, there's a teaching given by God for how Israel is supposed to celebrate the Feast of Shavuot, Pentecost weeks. And, and it's tied to Passover, but you'll notice um, that it happens where, where there's a, a sheaf of um, grain that is harvested. Now, this isn't the first sheaf of grain that has been harvested. Back at Passover, at the first fruits that happens right after Passover, we, we have the offering of barley given. And after barley, the next crop in the agricultural cycle is wheat. And so we have the wheat offering that's given here because Scripture commands Israel here, God, God commands his people to give the first fruits of their offering to be holy to the Lord. It's a way to remind them that every good thing has come from God. The rain has come from God. The seed has come from God. All these things are gifts from the Lord. And so you bring a first fruit offering to show that worship, to show that honor, to show that giving back to God. And so we have, um, we have 50 days from Passover, which is why we get the word Pentecost, by the way. It, it occurs, penta means 50. So it's counted 50 days in Shavuot. It's seven weeks plus one day is, is how it's timed here. And the other things that they're supposed to bring are two loaves of bread baked with yeast, which is a wave offering. That's the first fruits offering. And then you have a whole bunch of sacrifices. You have seven unblemished uh, male lambs, a year old, one young bull, and two rams. And this is a whole burnt offering. All of, all of this is going to be consumed on the altar, and it's going to be given as an offering up to, to God. Then we find a male goat, which is a sin offering. And so it, it's interesting, because even after Passover, you, you have uh, the lamb that is given in place of the firstborn at Passover. That, that, that's what happens there. But here you have a sin offering, because sin has not been fully atoned for here. It's, it's only until the work of Jesus that sin is completely atoned for. And so there's this sin offering that continues to go. And you've got two lambs, which is a fellowship sacrifice. They have this sacred assembly, this gathering where there's no work done, no regular work done. But then there's also this. There's, there's generosity. Ge- generosity. We, we see this um, in the latter verses that I read from Leviticus 23, uh, verse 22. And, and yeah, verse 22. And this is what we see in the book of Ruth. Um, at the harvest that Boaz, who's one of the significant players in Ruth, um, at the harvest, he leaves the corners of his field for people to gather grain. That was a way that you would provide for those who are poor, those who are foreign residents among you. It's also a way that you would just demonstrate the goodness and the grace of God. It would be much like giving an offering to people who are in need today. And it may be even today that God lays someone upon your heart uh, or upon your, your spirit and you go, I know how I could bless them. Or some, God brings someone into your path and you say, I could serve them this way. That, that is a scriptural principle to look for those who are poor and those who are resident foreigners among you and to serve them as best you can with the goodness that God has given you. So it's important though, because Passover has led to Pentecost. We read about Pentecost, but it comes from Passover. Um, Shavuot, Pentecost, is unique in that its timing is based on this date. Its celebration must always have in mind the context of redemption from sin that occurred at Passover. 
Passover is all about redemption. Shavuot is all about giving these, these offerings up unto the Lord, being generous. It, it, there's actually a, a lot that happens throughout Jewish history and even in Christian history of God gifting his people on these days. Um, most of the time, um, m- most of the time, you, you'll, you'll notice in there that it says that there's this bread or grain that includes yeast. Um, bread that includes yeast is not typically an offering given to the Lord. One of the things um, as, as you celebrate Passover, you find is that yeast is a symbol or leaven is a symbol of sin. And this occurs numerous times in the scripture. Um, but here it actually says you are, to, um, you are to give yeasted loaves, leavened loaves as offering to the Lord. We'll talk about that in a little bit, because that's decided, decidedly different from much of the rest of what Scripture um, teaches by way of leaven and, and yeast. This generosity, though, is inherent within this holiday. Um, in later Judaism, this festival, Shavuot, came to be known as the celebration of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. So even within Jewish tradition, they recognize th- there's a gift that God gives during this feast. And that is important because what we find in Acts chapter 1 is another gift from the Lord. Another gift from the Lord. And so look with me, please, uh, at Acts chapter 1. And we're going to look briefly at a couple verses, and then we're going to look at chapter 2 for a brief moment as well. What I want you to see from looking at Leviticus is there's biblical precedent to celebrate for Israel, celebrate these feasts, but there's also this, this gift that happens. And while it's traditional to say um, the gift was the Torah, we're going to find out that through the working of God, the gift of the Torah is going to take on another dimension in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, we find uh, the disciples are in this in-between time. Jesus has already uh, died. He is risen again. And, and we find out that in verse 4, when he was together with them, this is chapter 1, verse 4 of Acts, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. The disciples think that this is going to be the time. In fact, they ask this question, Lord, is this going to be the time in which the kingdom is restored to Israel? And Jesus uh, kindly and politely says, it's not for you to know the times of the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, no, <laughs> that, that is coming. But there is something unique that is going on here. I want you to wait. Why does Jesus want them to wait? He wants them to wait for the Father's promise. In verse 8, we find he, more information about this promise. He says, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples are supposed to wait. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, their master, their rabbi, he has died. He has risen from the, from the grave, and they're like, what are we supposed to do? And he says, I want you to wait. They don't go out preaching. They don't go out teaching. They don't go out doing ministry like they had been doing with Jesus. They are told to wait. Wait. How many of you love to wait? That's what I thought. (laughs) I hate waiting most of the time. I I hate waiting. I want to get through the line the fastest. I want to get through the light at at the... um, 
the stoplight the fastest. I, I, I want to keep moving with life. I want to go to the next thing. I hate waiting. Maybe you do too. But during this time, this 50-day time from Passover to here, and I don't know what day, I don't know what, on what day Jesus says, I want you to wait. But even if it was a couple weeks out, you've got to be going, you want us to wait. But here they are, they're waiting. And he says, I, I will give you power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This will be my promise to you. And you will have him so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and everywhere else in the world. So look with me, please, on, at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we, we find that the disciples are, are there. In verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, had arrived, they're all together in one place. So they've been waiting. They're, they're gathered together in one place, which, which gathering together during one of the big three pilgrim festivals it is a very natural thing. They, they naturally would have been there for, for Pentecost or for Shavuot. But they are gathered together, and I, I want to show you how they are gathered together. Um, the first eight verses or so begin to describe the Spirit coming down. And, and he says, let me find the verse here. While, while they were all together, just look at verse 2. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. And so we find um, the Spirit is, is empowering them and equipping them to do something. And we find out what that is in verse 5. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard of them speaking in his own language. As they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those living in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia in Pamphylia, Egypt in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. They were astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? But some sneered, and they said they are full of new wine. And so you have this incredible encounter going on where these disciples began speaking in languages that were not native to where they were from, Galilee. And they go, how is it we are hearing the words, the mighty acts of God in our languages when these people are not from our region? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' disciples, uh, they, they, they go through this, and then Peter begins to preach. And boy, does he preach. He, he preaches about how what God has promised from the Hebrew Scriptures has come to fulfillment. And we find a great picture of, um, of what happens in uh, chapter 2, verse 37 and following. In verse 36, actually, let's just back up for a minute there. In verse 36, he says, this is the pinnacle of Peter's sermon. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And here's what happened as a result of this. They, they came under deep conviction, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, they said, brothers, what must we do? 
They, they heard the mighty works of God and they say, what must we do? They're convicted of their sin. They're convicted that they're living far from God. And they say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for those who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. And with many other words, he testified and he strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. And so we get a picture of this early church in verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves. Okay, And the word devote here means to... Um, give your time and your attention to. It means to attach yourself to this. They, they, they were all in on these four things. The teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So, so here are the disciples. They go from this, this time of waiting, this time of praying and seeking God's face. Um, they, they're gathered together, and then God sends his Spirit. And clarity is given exactly what they should do. And Peter begins to preach because everybody's confused. They're like, what is all this talking going on in languages? But Peter begins to preach. And in the midst of this preaching, centering, centered upon the mighty acts of God, what, what God has done, these people accept the testimony that they had heard. They believe in the Messiah, Jesus. They, they, they believe that he is both Lord and Messiah. They, they have new life in Christ that day. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And this early church gathers around four critical things. But what I want you to notice is that they didn't produce the spiritual transformation. They, they, they didn't do that. The, the, the power of teaching came from the working of the Spirit. They, they are people. This early church is a people who devoted themselves to important things. They don't devote themselves to producing spiritual fruit. They devote themselves to what has God said, the apostles' teaching. They, they devote themselves to prayer, giving themselves, their lives, their minds over to allow God to instruct them and to teach them, to, to, to allow their hearts to be changed by the working of God in their midst. But to, to hear from God and say, God, I want to know you. God, I want to be obedient to you. God, I want your will to be that what I desire most. That's the idea of prayer. They devote themselves to fellowship. They, in other words, they devote themselves to other godly people, other followers of the Messiah Jesus. They, they want to be surrounded, not exclusively, but they want to have this community with faith people because they know that that brother or that sister might see something in their lives so that they could speak into them and they might say, hey, don't you know God has called us to this? I want to encourage you in this. And, and they devote themselves to the breaking of bread. I love eating, breaking of bread. But even at these early meals, although meals are a way to gather around the scripture, they're a way to gather around God's teaching. We have this picture even of the meal that Jesus last had before his death with his disciples where he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So these four things are, are, are things that they devoted themselves to. They, they're biblical and spiritually wise practices. And if we were to continue reading the remainder of the book of Acts, 
we would find that it describes the Holy Spirit working through these Jewish followers of Jesus to take his message or his gospel, that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And because they have been faithful to that task, friends, we are here. We have the ability to hear the word of God. They were faithful to that task, empowered by the Spirit. Now, we we find that their witness not only brought Jewish people to the gospel, but that this gift was also preached to the Gentiles. You know, half, half or more of the gospel of Acts, it's not really gospel, but, but of the book of Acts goes to tell how this message went forth into the entire Roman world. And one of the things I find interesting is Acts chapter 2, verse 39. It says this, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for, for distant generations, you might translate it. Um, many people talk about those who being far off uh, refer to the Gentiles. Those, those who are way far off. You have God's people, but you have the Gentiles. This message is even going to go to them. I talked a moment ago about how Shavuot is a um, expression of gift, and we certainly see this gift come in the Holy Spirit. The, the early believers do nothing to deserve the Holy Spirit. It's a promise from the Father. But one of the things that is interesting is that this promise is not to just stay with them. It's supposed to go on. In Shavuot, you have this two-loaf concept, and um, the two loaves are leavened, as I said before. And, and I love what one scholar, his name is Sam Nadler, he says this. Um, he, he describes the significance of the two leavened loaves this way. He says, Shavuot is a picture of the body of Messiah, Jews and Gentiles. When the fullness of Pentecost had come, there was an open invitation to all who would believe to be saved. It was in a sense a come-as-you-are party. We all come to Messiah, as is with our sins. We are all moral failures, lost people in need of God's forgiveness, mercy, and grace. At Shavuot, we are reminded that we are sinners without the Passover redemption. However, as we look to the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, and his salvation, we find cleansing of our sins and we find new life in him. And this is possible not just for Jews, but also for Gentiles. We find in the scripture, Ruth, the Moabitess, who comes to faith in the God of Israel. We we find in Isaiah 43 and 44 that Israel is called to be a witness to the nations. Now the Holy Spirit is going to empower his people to be a witness for God. But how? Well, uh, to do that, and there's many different places we could look at, but where I want to take you this morning is Galatians chapter 5 as we begin to close. Galatians chapter 5 includes a very, very important teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And there's actually this great contrast that goes on. And it's a contrast between your life lived in the power of yourself, in other words, Scripture describes it as flesh, or life lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we learned that while Israel had been given God's teaching, they had forsaken it. And Jeremiah 31 includes a promise that God would make a renewed covenant with them and he would write the law on their heart. Put his spirit within them to know God and forgive their sin. And it's by the spirit that this is possible. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 and following, we we find um, the fruit of the spirit 
and, and it's contrasted to these works of the flesh. Notice with me, please, in um, verse, uh, well, we'll, we'll read 16. I, will, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit des- desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you do not know what you do, you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what he does not mean is that if you ever do one of those things, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is people who have that as a part of their, just that, that's their daily life, all these things. And, and I love how one commentary breaks these down. He breaks them down into uh, categories of sin that include sensuality, heathen religions, conflict, and drunkenness, okay? A, a life that is completely bent towards that is a, com- a life completely bent upon living out of the flesh. God's people, however, are called into something different. And not just called, they're given the ability to walk out something different. The work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against these or such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh with with its passions and desires. So what happens when you come to faith in Jesus? When you come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a gift. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to live out This kind of life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things are fruits of the Spirit. And so when we see those things at work in our life, or we see those things at work in the world around us, and believe you me, it doesn't take long uh, scrolling on a social media feed or scrolling through the news. It doesn't take long to find works of the flesh. But when you see works of the Spirit, they, they stand and just remarked uh, contrast. They, they're just completely different. Um, when we experience those things, we're reminded that is not how God has called his people to live. But we're also reminded that God has given believers his spirit in order to live these things out. Because, see, it's really easy to think, oh, I can live that out. No big deal. Love, joy, peace, patience. Now, in our minds, sometimes we think, yeah, sure, no problem. If you try to take one day and everything you want to do is, I, I want to be joyful today. Just, just hold on because you're going to experience some things that are going to well within you something other than joy. So what do we do as followers of Jesus when we see fruits in our lives that are not from the Spirit? And what Scripture reminds us is that these things come from God the more we yield ourselves to the work, to the kingdom, to the will of God in our life, the the more we say, in yielding our lives, we say, God, God, I, I don't want anger to be a part of my life today. God, I give that to you. The more God gives, the fullness, the filling of his spirit. Now, the spirit never leaves us. 
but he fills you anew to empower you to walk in a way that is different than what you would normally walk out in your flesh. See, we can't produce these kind of things. It's, 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 like, it's like picking up an orange at the store and showing it to your family and saying, I produced this. And the reality is, no, you didn't. A tree did. Um, the qualities that are listed here in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, only come by the Spirit. They, they don't come any other way. So what is our role? Yielding our lives to God, having our minds renewed through the Scripture, gathering together with fellow believers, whether digitally or in person, so that others can help you see where there's darkness in your life, so that they can encourage you in your walk with the Lord, remembering Christ's work as you break bread together, having a life that is devoted to prayer. See, this early church, I think these four things that are described in Acts 2.42 are, are part of the, the responsibilities or part of the, the practice of having soft hearts towards God. Because ha- having the fruit of the Spirit, it's something that doesn't come naturally. You know, giving the, away who we were before Christ is not something that comes naturally to us. Uh, this past week, I, I was finishing up a run, and I, I came back, and I was, had a great conversation with one of my neighbors. And um, a couple of years ago, my neighbor Sam, he, he had busted his knee pretty good. He had torn, I believe it was his ACL. And as a part of fixing it, they had to do surgery, and they took part of his hamstring in order to regraft this this muscle. And um, it reminded me that that one of the biggest parts, well, actually, what he said was one of the biggest parts of rehab was not so much the muscle in his leg; it was the mind transformation that had to occur. Uh, he, he said, "You know, I didn't trust my leg for some time, and during uh, physical therapy and exercises, he he had to have a doctor essentially tell him or a therapist tell him, you can trust that leg." You can put all your weight on that formerly bad leg. It will hold you. But there's this mental block that's going on in his mind all while he's trying to learn how to properly walk again. It reminded me, our our minds have been programmed to sin. You know, the scripture says that we are all we all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We, We all come from a past where there are dark things there. And where we have desires that are other than God. But when we come to faith in the Messiah, the Holy Spirit comes in to transform our lives. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about how this transformation uh, begins to take place. The the, the renewing of our mind is something the Spirit does, but it's something that the Spirit um, does through the working of the Scripture, through the working of godly people, through the working of prayer. All, All these ways are ways that we put ourselves in the right path for God to work through us by the Holy Spirit. See, we can't produce the actual fruit. All we can do is place our lives in the right path. One scholar says this. He says, We constantly see many alternative paths to follow in our lives, but we reject them to follow the Spirit. Part of rehab for my neighbor Sam was doing exercises that, that, that forced him to trust the new ligament in his body. It didn't come naturally. And it's like that in our spiritual lives. Through the training, through the discipline, through the renewal of our minds, our bodies are indwelt, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit 
become more sensitive to the things that are against the Spirit around us. The, the more my neighbor engaged in the correct things, growth happened. Growth happened, and it continued to go, to go and go and go. See, you may have a relationship with God, but what happens when we don't see growing fruit? You know, we, we might see some fruit of the Spirit in our lives, but we also see a lot of these other works of the flesh. This is where rubber meets the road. It, it's where we live every single day, whether we're going to work or working in our families or we're raising kids, or we're caring for um, an aged grandparent, whether we are single, whether we are married, it doesn't matter where we are at in life. See, God calls each of us to yield our lives to God. Why? Because he wants to renew us. He, he wants to give us the power to do what is right and just. So, so what happens when we don't see growing fruit in our lives? We go back to the basics. We devote ourselves. We, we attach ourselves to the teaching of God in his word. We, we devote ourselves to prayer. We, we devote ourselves to the fellowship, the, the gathered body of Christ, because it's there where people can speak into our lives in a way. That is very powerful. And, and we devote ourselves to gathering around Christ's body broken for us, his blood poured out for us, and remembering the sacrifice that he has made. As we do that, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us in a way to produce fruit that I cannot fully explain to you. I just know it is the Father's promise. It's the Father's promise. So, as you yield, as I yield my life to God this week, we can expect, we can expect great things because God will work in us. He will work in us. He will give us power to do what is right, just, holy, so that the fruit that he longs for us to have is that which comes from our lives for his glory and his praise. It's interesting because sometimes, you know, like his parents have got I've got three kids. Uh, sometimes we want to force out of our kids or we want to force out of other people what God alone can produce. How do we help others? Well, one of the ways we help others is we pray for them. You see someone going through a difficult time? Pray. You're in a marriage where it's a struggle right now? Pray. Submit yourself to God and daily seek to allow the life of Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit to live through you. I don't know what your specific situation looks like today, but I want to give you just a moment here to, to have pause and maybe even just to write down, God, here's an area of my life that is yielded to something other than to you. God, I yield this back to you today. I'll give you a moment and then I'll pray. Our Father and our King, as we just gather in this moment right here, we yield our lives again to you, asking God that you would work in and through us in a way that we, we may not fully understand always. But God, we trust that as we yield to you, you will produce in us a kind of life that brings you glory. God, our world is filled with brokenness. It's filled with sin. It's filled with dissension and, and anger. 
And God, forgive us for how we engage in that. Whether we engage in that face-to-face or we engage in that online or we engage in that socially, God, may our highest aim today be to know you. And God, may our lives look remarkably different because of the working of your Spirit in our lives. Lord, bring the fruit of your Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Bring it to great measure for your honor and for your glory. We thank you for the promise of your Spirit. We, we, We thank you for the gift that he is to us. We bless you today, God. You are a good God. And we are grateful to be your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions about any of this, and you're like, I don't get that, or say that again, or you want to have a dialogue, we would love to be able to chat with you sometime. You can chat with us on our website, on on um, Facebook. We're, we're streaming there as well. You can give us a call at our office or send us an email. We'd love to be able to talk with you more. P- p- perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus today. We, we would invite you to receive the gift of salvation that God has given to us. And we invite you to join us in this journey. And that would be one of our deepest prayers for you. Um, one way you can go deeper after right now is on, the, uh, on our homepage, on the watch page, there is a download that is available for a study guide. And it's a fantastic study guide that looks at these scriptures and some more. Just gives you a, a more rounded picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in this conversation we had today. So I encourage you to check that out. One of our elders, Ron McIntyre, wrote that and just did a fantastic job. So I really encourage you to take the time some time this week and if not today and spend time uh, engaging text and also spend time uh, going deeper in, in uh, prayerfully considering where God has you and where you are in your spiritual life. Um, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his peace towards you now. This day, we pray for the sake of Jesus. Go with God. Mm-hmm.